official off-season edition. We did an intro pod a few weeks ago, um, but we are here to give you the deep dive you want. The deep dive you need on all things Grizzlies off-season. Deserve? Deserve. After the long layoff, um, the NBA Finals are still going on at the time that we're recording this, at least. Um, And we have the whole gang here uh, to talk about the off-season. So, Kraft is here, Brantley's here, Ty's here. We're all here, and we're in person, finally. Um, Thanks for bearing with us through the remote episodes. We wanted to get those out to you as quickly as possible throughout the playoffs, Um, but now we have a little bit of time to sit down and talk about uh, next year's team, and the Grizzlies are in a very unique position because they have cap space, uh, and the other teams that have cap space are all pretty bad. Uh, not only do they have cap space, but they have a bunch of assets. And uh, they have all of their own draft picks um, moving forward. They have the extra first from Golden State in 2024. So this year's is number 22 and number 29. We're going to get into the draft a little bit. Um, no player on our team uh, made more than $20 million last year. And Steve, I think Steven Adams was the highest paid player on our team. Um, moving forward, of course, Jaron's going to kick in, kick in this year, but we are still a very cheap team. Uh, but some of those bills are going to come due soon, and we are at a, a, a critical juncture, you could call it, uh, this offseason to figure out whether or not we need to cash in chips or whether or not we need to, quote-unquote, run it back to a certain extent. Um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to start off uh, this podcast by going through – at a high level, uh, who do we value on this team and how much do we value them? Uh, what are the team needs? What should we prioritize going into the offseason? And then off of that, we're going to get into the actual specifics on players, uh, mock trades. We're going to get into the draft a little bit. Um, let me throw out just a few dates for you to frame the discussion. June 23rd is when the draft is happening. A week a week later is the deadline for veteran extensions. So think Tyus and Kyle mainly. Although we have other guys that are also eligible for extensions, like Stephen Adams, Dylan Brooks, Brandon Clark, um, and of course John Morant. And uh, then July first is when all the free agency mayhem begins, and there's a moratorium period for for five days. So July sixth is actually when uh, teams will will sign the players that they quote unquote agree to deals with and then right after that literally the day, the day after summer league begins and so the nba never sleeps which is what we love about it um so with that here's what i'm gonna here's what i'm gonna pose the first question i want to know coming off of this playoffs we had a quick discussion about the tyus kyle situation but let's start there are those two guys important enough to our roster to where we need to 
prioritize them because I feel like that's when it start. That's where the decision point is because it's the quickest one after the draft in terms of free agency. So let's talk about those guys and talk about just the and and apply that to the broader situation. So Kraft, I'm going to actually start with you. So give me your thoughts on if you're sitting in the GM seat. What are you thinking about in terms of those guys and how it relates to the broader team need? Yeah, so I would I would say that I don't I personally wouldn't think of Tyus and Kyle as in they're ever going to be in our best six seven uh, for a title team, but I would say that uh, having a backup point guard will be very important, uh, like in an overall regular season playoffs grind that uh, that we have a we have a star in Jaw who is going to miss games most likely because of the way he plays and uh, that we need, we will that the need for Tyus is less of, I think a playoff need um, because I think as this playoff showed, if we lose jaw, we're not going to win the title. And so, uh, but it's more of a, it's more of a regular season getting a higher seed sort of thing. Um, being able to let jaw rest some games and be feeling fine about it. And the question is, is Tyus that person? And I'm someone who, if we can bring Tyus back and it be uh, a good contract or even a one-year deal or something, I would be for it because one thing I love about him is he doesn't turn the ball over, which allows us to usually play really good defense and just always win the possession battle when he plays. And he makes smart, smart plays. He's a culture guy, all those great things. What I don't love about Tyus is he is short. It seems like being able to have some kind of backup point guard who's maybe more of a combo guard or somebody that can allow Jaw to play more off the ball. I know we played the Tyus Jaw lineups, but I just think defensively and height-wise, they're just never going to be optimal lineups um, for most of the teams we play. And so that's uh, – so quickly um, – so that's kind of where I feel on Tyus. Like, I wouldn't – I wouldn't mind bringing him back on something reasonable, but I don't think he's essential. And, and actually, as Hollinger brings up over and over again, if you listen to him, we were even better without Jaw or Tyus. Everybody talks about how good we were with Tyus. Well, we were actually really, really good with sort of this combo point guard combination uh, of DeAnthony, Bain, and Kyle, So, which, which is a good segue to Kyle. Um, Kyle, I'm less – I feel like he's just a great culture glue guy – that you can put him in a lot of different places. I actually am somewhat intrigued. I liked the few minutes he played in the Warriors series as sort of a backup point guard for us a little bit. Um, was interesting. Uh, but he he really struggles to stretch the floor for us. Um, you know, home games, you get the groans when he's left wide open in the corners. Um, so, I, so I'm a little bit mixed on Kyle, but I love that he's been around. He understands our culture, and he's a veteran. So I don't know, but that, I'd love to hear from you all more on that, so. Cause I've said enough, but I agree on all the Tyus points. I, it'll sort of be interesting. So, Will, to your question on priority, it just sort of feels like that maybe addressing ha- how we deal with the backup point guard. Like, there's maybe a couple of different paths that will, and your timeline sort of helps lay it out because that sort of. Um, you know, potentially what happens in the draft if we maybe are targeting a couple of guys and saying like, hey, we think that this person could fill all those needs that Kraft just laid out, which I do sort of 
feel like is um, the template of sorts to compete for a championship, let's say next year or the year after that, this is what the role would need to fill. This is the function that a backup point guard needs to provide. And can you get a veteran type point guard? I, I don't want you to think Jalen Brunson performance this year, but I'm t- like Jalen Brunson performance two years ago type thing. Um, and that would even probably be, we'd be ecstatic if that type of thing happened. So maybe there's a better comp. Um, so I sort of am expecting them to have some sort of strategy from a GM perspective to see if that gets addressed. Um, based on conversations they've already had with Tyus, they probably know what his number is for this year or for a couple more years. And therefore it's, um, they've probably got a couple different paths to go down and yeah, I'll stop there. I don't know if anybody else has any more Tyus specific conversation. What you got, Ty? So, the Tyus thing to me is try not to think about it. I'm kind of telling myself this too, as like next year, but like if we sign him to a three or four year deal, are you going to want like a backup point guard making like 10 to 12 million a year in like two years from now? Probably not. Um, to Kraft's point, we were able to put together good lineups without him on the floor. And we, you know, a lot of people, when you look at our roster, have have mentioned consolidation, consolidation, whether that's consolidation trades or whatnot. Like, it would also be really nice if we could, like, consolidate skills, right? Like, get one player that could do, like, a few different things, kind of like Kraft was talking about, too. Um, Brunson kind of does this, too, to Brantley's point, too, is he can – play with Luca talking about Brunson. He can run the second unit. He can do a lot of different things. Tyus is limited in that. Like he's not as versatile as maybe you would want a player in that spot to be. Um, so I'm trying to think of as, as longer term, not like next year, because again, will your like initial point was the bills about to, to come up. I would not like to be in a position to where you know 12 million is there for a backup point guard that at that at that time may be giving you i don't know 14 to 17 minutes a night you know um so it's just kind of a tough tough spot to be you could also argue that by signing him to a three-year 36 million dollar deal something like that like you keep the asset he's a tradable contract down the road if something does happen or come up um I would not think that he would be back, to be honest. I think not only money-wise, I think we can almost offer him as much as most other teams. I think the role is what Tyus is looking for. This is his coming up on, I think, his fifth year in the league, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Fifth or sixth, something like that. Yep. And he's, I mean, to his point of view, he's proven that he could be more than a backup in the league. And there are a handful of teams out there that you could argue could need him to play a starter role or a bigger minute role. So I think that has a lot to do with the thought process with Tyus. Yeah, I guess the the reason I wanted to kind of start with a, an actual um, actionable example, like do you, do, do you extend Tyus or Kyle, is because I think it goes back to how you rank the team needs right now. And I like what you said about, um, you know, basically um you know what's the word where you basically consolidating skills consolidating there's the word the so because i actually went through 
and I, we'll go through this in more depth, but I, I kind of did this deep dive on, I, I canvassed the entire league to make, uh, try to, to whittle down both realistic targets, but also fit targets for the Grizzlies. And that doesn't, I didn't limit it just to free agents, but I limited it to everyone because the Grizzlies are a team that that's typically built through trades. Um, but in order to do that, I made a list of, uh, of team needs that I felt were, and, and the priorities uh, that I had. And it was really difficult to parse these out. And I would love if, and I was definitely looking for guys that inhabited, you know, three, two or three of these together. So in order, I had self-creation because that's what was totally lacking when Ja wasn't in the game. We would swing it around and, uh, you know, there wasn't another guy who, and Jaron's been talking, you know, Jenkins talked about Jaron wanting to get more, be more of a self-creator. Um, you'd like to have another wing who does that other than Dylan um, because his self-creation doesn't always end well. Um, but I had self-creation actually number one because we just need another guy who can do it. Uh, number two, I had a, a guy with size who can shoot. Number three, I had defensive versatility. And then number four, I actually had backup point guard. So it's like when you're looking at that and you're thinking through it, and yeah, Tyus, you're, Ty, you're right about Tyus. Uh, next year, you need him, I think. I, I need a guy like that. But as you move along, you're looking. we're looking two or three years out with his deal. And it's like, are you really going to want to put as m- as many dollars into that position when you ha- could have potentially either a cheaper rookie scale guy or another guy who, if you pick him up, could potentially be that self creator backup point guard. But that's so I had backup point guard, and that is a skill set fourth on my list in terms of team needs. So I think that I that at least would form inform what I would do if I were in that position. Yeah, I mean just a. To- a second that um you know i mean just even look i mean part of it the, the playoffs i think have been very instructive on in several ways and one of them is just like a lot of these teams don't have real point guards like traditional point guards i mean the celtics and warriors don't really have a traditional traditional point guard uh and none, none of them have backup point cards you know i mean it is it is really much more bring the ball up by committee and uh you know shot making and defensive versatility uh is way more important it looks like when you look at like the top six eight teams in the playoffs uh definitely and and when and when you were talking about that I mean I agree with the team need too. I mean I was just looking at part of the problem we're in is that the Grizzlies are good like they're really good like they were elite they were the second best record they were top five in both defense and offense and net rating and so it is hard to look and see what you know we were in I remember one of the first pods I did with y'all, we went through all those categories. We were first in the league, but the thing that really jumps out is when you look at stuff like um, we were elite at winning the possession game, creating turnovers, all the hustle stats. Um, we we're elite in rebounding. We could be a little better defensive re- rebounding, but our offensive rebound was so good. We still were number one in rebounding. But the biggest thing for me was we were top in paint points. We were number one in two point attempts. We were number two in two point makes. And yet we had the 23rd ranked field goal percentage and um, 19th overall, 23rd in effective field goal percentage, 23rd in two point percentage, 17th in three point percentage. Um, And just when you look at like sort of if you go to any advanced stats, what stood out was shot making. What stood out was shot making. And then I think for us, 
the low amount of three point shooting, which goes to what you were saying is shot creating as well. And those were like, it just stood out. That was our big issue. And to go with that, the worst thing we were at is shooting free throws and getting to the free throw line. And that also goes with shot making because when you don't have people who make shots and they miss free throws a lot. So, so that was our biggest issue. Um, and I just, and while Tyus, um, obviously Kyle is not a shot maker No, and Tyus did have a career year from three this year, but that was an outlier to what he's been in the past. And, and who knows, maybe he would keep shooting 39% from three, but, um, but I just looking at that, it's like, we need shot makers. We need shot creators. Um, and we can talk. I think a lot of that's going to come, become from internal improvement, but, um, and I think the free throws and the foul rate stuff is going to come from just age and experience, but. Um, but those are the, that was the biggest thing that stood out. And so to me, backup point guard is just, uh, as much as I love Tyus, is just a low on the priority list. So, like, what's an amount in your mind, in general, backup point guard, team like the Grizzlies to win their first franchise championship in a, in a long time? What What is the amount that makes you feel comfortable about that with having Ja as your starter? As in, like, what would I budget for a backup point guard with you Ja? What would you budget? Um, you know, it would have to be a little bit. I mean, it depends because, you know, I I don't know. There there's guys out there. I know that notably Harrington is a guy that has been campaigning for not campaigning. I w- I, I wouldn't put it that far, but like he has been he's been commenting on the fact that he doesn't know if the franchise is committed to having a traditional backup point guard. Period, and I. I would push back a little bit in just saying, like, you have a dynamic guy like Ja who's going to – his his biggest skill is also his big, biggest risk. And the fact that he could um, get injured at any time, which in every season so far he has. And so, I don't know. I, I, would, I would be willing to go probably higher than your average person, but I wouldn't – like, it's totally dependent. I don't necessarily have a number as much as I have – a um I would love to have at least one on the roster and if it's a guy who's a um sneak preview for the draft I love Nimhard from Gonzaga if it's a guy like that who you know is reliable who's in a college system and can come in and just be a floor general um that's great and I think you need it I don't I don't, I don't necessarily know if I have a number though it, it Kraft, would not, do you have a number I mean I, or I get I get nervous when you go over a mid-level exception type numbers yeah. for a backup point guard, which I think we would have to do. And so to me, if we keep Tyus, I would want it to be a short contract um, and then maybe find somebody in the draft. But part of me is I think even then, like I think I, I am think we could experiment a little bit with the combo point guard thing, but, but we do need somebody in the mix um, for sure. And I want to I want to hear from Ty on this too, but I think I mean that's for me. I I just I the biggest worry is Jaw is going to need rest. He is going like I just think he's going to get bumps and bruises, and that's when the lack of like the lack of a Tyus Jones is going to show up when we're playing that's when right. we have to go ten games in a row because Jaw just sprained his ankle. Just a question for you, okay. looking at Tubbs. <laughs> that's Brantley of a for those of you who don't know my high school nickname. <laughs> Which I'm sure all of you do. I just want you to kind of think through the last, like, three, four, five years of the league. Think of, like... I'm going back to 2014, 2015, actually, oh, wow. for okay. my comparison. Sure. 
So I'm just trying to gauge, like, who would you consider a solid backup point guard on a team that was, like, really good title contention? Because I just – honestly, I'm curious because I just want to look up and see how much they made. So uh, uh, here's my example. I um, – this is dangerous because of what they became. But okay. the 2014-2015 Golden State Warriors okay. won their first championship. Okay. Steph Curry had a history of having his ankles injured. Yep. Sean Livingston was yep. the backup point guard. Love it. And he made eight to ten percent of the salary cap. Okay. Of that year. Okay. So if you apply that same percentage to the cap, which most people think this year is around like one twenty ish, one twenty two is or one twelve, excuse me. That's around eight and a half to nine Perfect. per year which is also what Jarrett Culver is owed next year. And it's a little <laughs> bit more than what Tyus got this year. They're saying right now it's going to be 122 for next year. Yeah. So, so all I'm saying John is Livingston that... Livingston was six foot seven. Let's he, just okay. put that out there. Right. And could play I, with Seth I, Curry. He, he was a combo. He was a combo different role and filled something different that for the Warriors. Definitely. Definitely. He's kind of like a, if Kyle could be Sean Livingston, that'd be amazing. He's actually a very That's interesting... True comparison to Sean Livingston. I loved Sean Livingston. He was still on the books for them this year, by the way. Um, just That's made six 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 uh dollars per basketball <laughs> reference. Ooh. All I'm saying is that it's it's when we when you start thinking percentages, sure. to me, I think that it's fair to say we should hope to have on a championship contending team around eight to ten percent of our cap towards a backup point guard before someone who we know like Jaws is going to get hurt. Mario, Mario Chalmers was another yeah. one back in yeah. the day. But I will I, I think I would say, so my one quibble would be 8 to 10% if that backup point guard brings something interesting or different to the table. Sure, that's Which fair. is Sean, you know, which to me, Tyus, the, the, size, the size aspect, the part that when he's out there now who we can't hide John anybody – um, that kind of stuff. Where Sean Sean Livingston, that was great. He came in; it was a big defensive upgrade, right? So, yeah, it's super interesting because, yeah, I mean, I think that I agree. Ultimately, like there, I there's a place that needs to be had. I think for a backup point guard, and um, the the I guess the next team need that I I've had on here was size that could shoot. I mean. That, to me, was the biggest issue in the playoffs was when you got to, you know, Jaron gets in foul trouble. You literally don't have another big who can shoot besides Tillman every once in a while, but he is not a guy who's going to necessarily be considered a, a four-stretcher. So, like, to me, that's that's sort of what I prioritized as I was going through and looking through guys who could be available, could be available, you know, whether it's through trade or through free agency. So... Um, do we have any <clears throat> let's actually go through the roster and divide what we think about the team into tiers and let's start at the top with like untouchable and then go down the line and see where we land with this team because I think it could inform how we discuss what we would do with the roster next and I think we've done this a few times before but I think it's it's always evolving and moving so let's start at the very top do we consider John Morant to be in his own tier? Yes. Is that fair? Does everybody agree John Morant is in his own tier? Uh, maybe. Maybe. Who else yeah, who would be? Put, yeah. Who else would be in the John Morant tier for you? Uh, Jaron. Jaron. 
when you factor in the contract he's on for the next four, like that we have what I believe will be a max player for the next four years on a not max contract. You think Jaron's a max player next year? Yes. I think he's a max player next year. And I think that he is possibly the only seven footer in the league who does not get played off on any small ball lineups. Let's and make I think a that makes him super unique for our future Jaron. Oh, and I, I, I did. Of, I stole of, that one from Ty from last podcast. <laughs> day, so for how we discussed trip trip being a max player. Cause I'm here for it. I would love it there. I guess the tier that I'm, I'm considering this to be a under no circumstances. Will he get traded? So that's well, when, if that's not, yeah. So Jaws probably the only person that I think Jaws they would the not even guy. have. He's the only guy. It, it, it's important trip. to define the tier, I, but yeah. yes, yeah. yeah. If that if that's the way, I just think that I I think it'd be very we, it would be hard to find somebody that they would want to trade Jaron for. But you could find someone. Maybe. Well, yeah. Well, in a, could be. I really want to do the who would you take over Jared? <laughs> like, just I can't wait for that conversation for us just to be like, would you take this guy, this guy, this guy? I mean, yeah. I like. I mean, I'm just. I wouldn't take Bam over Jaron. I wouldn't take. Let's not do it now. Let's okay. not do it. Now. Okay. This is fun. Got me going. <laughs> we are just like just like sprinkling the future conversation threads <laughs> for all these people so early on. I By know. the way, just remember, Jaron is still younger than Draymond Green was. Before he got, you know, as he got drafted. So yeah. let's just all remember just how young Jaron is. Great point. Yep. First true extended offseason when he's not injured as well. So who knows what he's going to develop into. Um, okay. So Jaron, is Jaron two on the list for everyone? I guess we're doing a tier system. So technically you don't have to rank. But is Jaron in, in a tier by himself in the next rung down? Well, we all we all know how Kraft thinks about this one. Yes, um, but now I'm going to disagree with Kraft pre thought because I know what he's thinking. I'm going to say Dez and Jaron are kind of in tier two for me because it would take a true like I would trade them, but it would take like a lot, like an astronomical amount. A guy who's like, okay, this. Player A paired with Jaws, like title finals, like just book it. That's the only way I would I would trade either of those guys. Um, but I would put them two in a tier together. Um, so I I agree with Ty's tiers here as the two. I mean, I think Kraft is basically saying his one A is the same, and Ty and I have a clear two. Yes. Will, do you have a clear two? Uh, I would say, as of right now, I've got um, I've got Jaron bookmarked into the top tier. Um, as of right now, I think next year, again, this is evolving. It could change. I think if you look at the age, you look at the contract, you look at the potential. I think if there's another year and another postseason with the foul trouble then that's going to raise a big concern for me because at that point it's a trend and it's not on the trajectory that you want it to be. So that's what I'm watching for. But right now, I mean, he's a defensive player of the year candidate going into the season on a team that desperately needs every minute that he plays on that end because that's our weakness. And I think it goes back to the defensive versatility team need because if you look at the final four teams in this playoffs – 
they were all top six NBA defensive for defenses for the year. So I think um, that could also inform the Dylan yeah. conversation moving yeah. forward. So fair, 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 yeah, fair point about the foul right thing. So I mean that is yeah. definitely the big, the big issue that's keeping him from being a max player, in my opinion. But if I'm, you're looking at it and you're 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 judging if 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 a team has a trade on the table that you're saying you know we either need Jaron or Bain to get the deal done and it's a player that you really want. The way I'm looking at it is I'm going to give up Bain before I'm going to give up Jaron in a trade like that. Right. Um, depending on who's coming back, of course. And But I still think those three guys are my top three in their mm-hmm. own tier. Like, I don't consider anybody right. else in that stratosphere. And, and that's in my most homerness. I mean, I could have all three in, in my tier one um, right. type of thing. But, I mean, to me, it's just all, I think all three – I mean – you know, I think all three of them will make an all-star team in the next two, three years. Um, and uh, and so, to me, it's like you would have to trade – you would have to get another all-star to want to trade any of those three guys. And I think the and the the fact that all three of them blend together so well on their strengths and weaknesses is a huge plus. And so now we get to the interesting part of the conversation. Um, so just to establish, we have two tiers so far. Jaron is sort of in between both, uh, depending on who you ask on the podcast, but Bain is clearly in that next tier. Do you have anybody else in this, or should we move to the next one? If we are in the next tier, Ty, I w- I'm going to start with you. Who is in your next tier? Um, and how big is the tier? So that's what I'm trying to figure out. Um, we did not prep for this, by the way. No, this we is just didn't. right off the cuff. And so. this is like definitely like what does a tier mean when you talk about like so you, you will you were kind of prefacing it as like kind of like a least likely to trade or like who would you like? There's a clear ball accounts. Who are you hanging on to? Yes. Thing? Like who are you keeping on the roster? Hell or high water kind of yes. thing. I would love clarification on that. Well, yeah, I think Brantley it, would love motion to move forward with clarification. Yeah, it's as as um I would say if you're looking at it in terms of trades. Like okay. if if you're ranking your list Trade of the the yeah, okay. Like least touchable to most. Sure. Based on that, I, I would like to make a motion to for me personally to move Zaire Williams back into tier two. Hey, Whoa. Hot. I love that. <laughs> Hot. This, okay. this is plain. This is pre-summer league too. You're making this claim. Yeah. I like Explain. it. Explain. I think um, he showed the Desmond Bain factor, less the shoulders, less the shoulder girth, more wingspan, and he drinks a lot of water, which I drink a lot of water too, and I love it. But like, I'm all in on guys in the rookie season that step in in a high and high playoff basketball moments, aren't scared, produce and showed improvement throughout the year. That's the same trajectory as what Bain was on. I fully expect Zaire to show up in summer league and crush it. And after two games, we're going to be like, yep, we've seen everything we need. He put on five pounds and it's going to look like 30 pounds. And, um, he, all the like contract stuff, like, I mean, we're going to maybe pay him as much as Dylan makes next year over the next three years. So, I mean, that's just like the rookie thing, and we got where we drafted him. I mean, he's so four, four and a half, four point eight six. All to say, I just, I, I really think that he is a fit and a unique role. I could see us going and drafting another type of player like him, 
just to try to like have as many options out there and I just wouldn't trade him. If it's that if that's the tier. Uh, yeah. If it's no, truly that's what based it on if tiers are truly people that I'm ranking of who I do not want to trade, Bain, Jaron, and Zaire are all in my tier two. Man. That's that's a lot that's a lot for Zaire. Um for me at least. I mean he's definitely in my third tier. Um for what it's worth, I actually have he and Dylan both in tier three. That's my tier three too. Um, I don't think I have any anyone else outside of that. Um, primarily not like trade stuff, but like future stuff as well. And what you were talking about earlier when we were kind of looping this all together and the what is our team needs. You mentioned big wings who can shoot and versatile defenders. And there's maybe the only two guys on the roster that fit in any way, shape, or form that profile. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't consider Bain a, a wing, I don't think. But you, you could, I guess you could argue he's, that he should be in that category too. Guy. Yeah. Like, um, he's not a wing size yeah. guy. That's, but his, that's his one weakness. Yeah. He's pretty just, much a two. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think Zaire is, I would say, like surprising to be there, kind of. But honestly, you could argue like Dylan's just as surprising to be in like this tier. Like a, a notch below, um, Bane and Trip. Like maybe there's a huge gap between those between tier two and three. I don't really know, but if you kind of look at the you know the conversations around Dylan, even after these playoffs, it's kind of interesting how you can. I've, I remember Drew Hill for the Daily Memphian was talking about this. Like the there's a huge dis, disconnect between what the fans view of Dylan and like what the front office views of Dylan. Like, it would take a lot for someone to pry Dylan away from us. I think he is, like, incredibly valuable to our team. Um, and if they think that, I feel like we kind of have to think that as well. Um, so, it's just – it's hard to find a guy who's 6'7 and can truly defend the other team's best player and hold up in pretty much every matchup he's asked. Like, there's a reason Steph struggled um, in our series. There's a reason he shot his worst three-point percentage of his – entire 2022 playoffs was against us is because Dylan was like a lot to do with that. Yeah, 40%. Um, the other, the other three series over 40%, 33 yeah. against the Grizz. That's a decent, that's a big drop. Um, so yeah, I think, I think Dylan's very valuable um, just because of what we need. And I think those players are hard to find. If we could improve, like if we could just make Dylan better, that would be awesome. <laughs> um don't know or if just, that's going to Or uh, more efficient. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen at this point, but I think that profile of player yeah. I think is extremely valuable, whether that's a starter on our team or six-man like we've talked about in the past. Right. Um, I will just go ahead and kind of jump the gun. Is I think beyond that, I think maybe like BC and, and Melton maybe could be, if you're excluding Kyle and Tyus, which I'm going to for this exercise because they're free agents and we who are. knows. I think outside of maybe those two, you could say like as a tier four amongst themselves. Then after that, I think it's just eye of the beholder value, what that would add for you in a trade. Like if, if it took John Contra to take a trade over the top or something like you do it, like without hesitation, right? right? If it took, if someone was like, no, it has to be BC in the trade. I bet our front office is like, Let, let's talk about it. And we'll get back to you. I could see the same being that for Melton. Um, but I think all the other guys, the top four, if you say, or top five, Ja, Bain, Tripp, Zaire, and Dylan, 
I think it's like a, no, you're going to have to like wow us or they're not going anywhere. Here's a question that five that you just are top, the top five that we talked about Mm -hmm. with, with maybe Zaire Dylan, one of them playing sort of a four. Mm -hmm. So do you, is it realistic to say in two years, Grizzlies win the title and people talk about that being the new death lineup. I think that's really interesting and I love it. I think that Jaron has to foul like half of what he's doing now. And I think Zaire has to get again, not, you know, the, just the, the closing lineup, not necessarily, Um, you know, I think that in theory, like that lineup, the theory of that makes a ton of sense. You have Jaron at the five who can do it. You have just a ton of versatility. You so have much shot athleticism, making, athleticism all that kind floor. of stuff. Defensive versatility. Spacing. As Spacing long as if sure, Dylan yeah. can just hit spot up threes, which I'm hoping he's working on this summer. Yes. I just think if like if Zaire can weigh like 220, I think that would be like awesome. And if Jaron can stop fouling and Dylan just stops taking shots, I think that would be the greatest thing of all time. So I think there's a chance. Um, if if Zaire hits his peak, I'm kind of with Brantley on this block. I think if Zaire like hits the ceiling, I think he's like he's really good, yeah. like really good. That's I also was just thinking about today how it's a <laughs> like Zaire, of course, to me is in this tier. Not only I think if Zaire even played worse this pla- this past season, that he almost has to be in this just because you have so many years left. He's so young. And it's just such a favorable favorable contract. It'd be really hard to give up a guy that size with this skill set, regardless. Yeah, I mean, it's I a, yeah. I love that. I mean, what Brantley brought up about Zaire, I like. I mean, that's you know, and we can play because I think Dylan might want it too much. But I mean, that is legitimately a five. All of whom are not afraid to take the last shot. All of whom have hit game winners. I mean, Jaron's hit a lot of game winners, especially from three. Bain's not afraid take big shots. Zaire's hit game winners or, or shot them anyway. And I mean, obviously Dylan loves to shoot game winners or what he thinks are game winners. <laughs> um, so anyway, but I just, but that's, I mean, to me, like that's a legitimate when we talk about the Dylan Zaire thing in the top five, I mean, that is, can that like, if that's our top five, can that t- top five win a title in the next two or three years, I think really helps think through, you know, I think, I think the future. I love that conversation. And I, I don't, I personally think we have to have an upgrade to the Zaire Dylan slot in that conversation to keep one of them in, <laughs> to in, win, yeah. to win. I mean, I, 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 you know, or, or you have a true, like, let's just, let's just make some comparisons. Dylan's our Marcus smart. Boston talks about Marcus smart. Just like we talk about Dylan, they love, hate him. All of a sudden, he makes a leap in this playoffs, and everybody, including Bill Simmons and Ron Russillo, are like they're just waiting for him to go back and play like the way he used to play. And sometimes he does it, right? I mean, and, he almost cost them, the and he almost cut. Yeah, and <laughs> he exactly. And I mean, I mean, every Grizz fan would stand on their chair right now and say, "Yeah, we know Dylan could cost us a series in the Western Conference Finals," and so. That's and the reason why I sort of think that right now Boston is able to deal with it is because they have a true one A one B on the offensive side to make up for maybe some of those issues. And I would not say. I mean, I think Bain showed he could potentially be kind of a one B ish, you know. But I just I really think 
to your question, you have to have a little bit of a better player for the Grizzlies to win. Well, so. and it's it's not even. I mean, Bain as good as he is, it's just a matter of can he create shots against one through four, you know? And that's where you have guys like Tatum and Brown who are who are just athletic enough and and just have and their size, size is different, yeah. And it's so it's that's where it's tough for Bain is because I think he does have a ton of skill for his size to get his shot, but it's you saw against you know some athletic centers like he he had a shot blocked a few times even on his step backs and so um, that's the only difference there and I agree with you like an upgrade I wish you could just combine Zaire and Dylan into one and just have that be like your upgrade and then fill the slot um, but would you just by my curiosity, Brantley, sorry, Ty, you, do you have Dylan in a tier, like in the top five of, uh, in, in terms of just like our, our tier system and uh, how you're ranking these players? Cause I know you're not, you're probably lowest on Dylan. I mean, I like, I apologize to him. Uh, <laughs> and then you took it back <laughs> and, then, and that, I regretted it. I had heavy, heavy, heavy remorse for my apology. Um, <laughs> Game four does that. Like the, yeah, I mean, (laughs) no, I honestly, I was going to stop at one and two. I, everybody else is on my, like, I'd be, I would not be upset to see the front office trade for the right deal. I think that you can find a, I think that you can find another Dylan that doesn't kill you on the offensive side of the ball. That's what I think. Yeah. And for what it's worth, I, my stance on Dylan is that in a different market, he would be, a lot more in to me like uh expendable because there just isn't the market right now and hopefully as these drafts continue to happen maybe in the next couple of years that market gets a little bit more saturated than it is but just like a a six seven and above uh wing who can um shoot when he's on and defend multiple positions is just extremely hard to get um unless you're going to pay top dollar so ty you're about to say something and i interrupted you I don't remember. I mean, I I mean, for me, the one frustration of the last year, besides the Lakers being stupid um, and keeping us from that pick, is just Dylan not uh, like not getting to play in the rotation with everybody, Jaw and Dylan especially, because I just want to see how Dylan responds to the alpha Jaw, and we just didn't really get as much of that. Even we didn't even get in the playoffs, which is what's frustrating. Yeah. All right, we before we finish up part one, let's talk through the draft. The Grizzlies right now have number 22 pick in the first round from Utah in the Mike Conley trade, the gift that keeps on giving. We have our own pick, which is number 29, since we were the second best record Because we the were league. awesome. Number 29, which the Grizzlies prefer to be right around that zone, uh, if history serves. And then we, all, we have the number 47 pick, uh, which is the 17th pick of the second round. And that is from the New Orleans trade. Thank you, Lakers. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk through some prospects that could be a good fit for the Grizzlies. Might even throw a couple of trade-up type prospect candidates there. But just to start this discussion, we're going to go to our resident draft expert, Ty Smith Sr. Okay, here we go. So I'm just going to first start with, we could go a lot of different directions here. Um, first of all, I'm just going to start with picks 
22 and 29, and then we'll kind of branch from there. I don't want to kind of – I know you all haven't done a ton of draft research. I just want to throw out just some holistic 30,000-foot view stuff regarding draft to you all in a little bit. I love it. Um, so 22 and 29, I've kind of looked at a few different mocks because I obviously haven't, like, watched thousands of hours of college basketball. Um, so I've kind of seen different mock drafts and where these certain players are – you know, put in these mock drafts because usually the mock drafts aren't like terribly off. You know, like if someone's supposed to be like a late first rounder, usually they're roughly like a late first rounder, right? It may not be the exact same team, all that kind of stuff. But these guys, they're so in the know that they just kind of, they know what teams are thinking. Um, so this is kind of picks 22 and 29, honestly. Um, so the first guy I'm going to bring up, his name's Dalen Terry. Um, he's a six seven wing from Arizona. He's nineteen. Um, so the boxing one YouTube channel. I think the guy's name is Adam Spinella. Um, he does awesome draft stuff. It's really good. Um, so he actually had us taking Terry, I believe, with the twenty second pick, um, which I thought was really cool. So apparently, this guy is like. Energy, great personality, like lightens up the room anytime he's in it. Like apparently he shot up draft boards because of he's just the, the kid he is. Like execs just are obsessed with him. Like GMs just love the guy. Um, the ringer is, you know, kind of hit or miss. KOC can be like Kevin O'Connor can be like really wrong on stuff. He does like a lot of their draft stuff. He had uh, Killian Hayes, his number one prospect a few years ago. He also never let him live this down. Picked LaMelo over Ja like a year ago. And guys he would rather have moving forward. He should like he should truly get fired for that. Um, anyway. So he I thought this was interesting. His comp for Dalen Terry was Andre Iguodala. If you think about the guys in, in the previous, you know, little bit that we've been talking, like if we could combine this big, versatile wing who can do like a little bit of everything, switch on defense, maybe hit open shot, like that is who you want. Um Dalen Terry fits that mold. Um, apparently again, plays really hard, high energy, high IQ, smart player, does a lot of the little things. He shot 36% from three this past year, um, at Arizona. Um, apparently his shot looks a little funky. I watched it a little bit. It does look a little funky, but teams really like him. Um, the second player I'll throw out and y'all can do y'all's own research. Again, if you listen to the pod and you're curious, go watch the boxing one on YouTube. It's, it's really helpful. Um, the second guy is Wendell Moore um, from Duke. So we've actually already had him in for a workout in Memphis, uh, which I think is kind of interesting. So clearly we are interested in him. Again, the mocks, a lot of the mocks have him going like late first round. So he should be available at 22 or 29 if, if we so choose to pick him. Um, he's a 6'5 wing. The interesting thing about him is he basically ran Duke's offense like, he was essentially their lead ball handler. He ran a ton of pick and roll. He'd basically just get the ball at the top of the key and just go make things happen, which is super interesting if you talk about shot creation. Um, maybe not or self-creation. We mentioned that earlier. So, again, kind of trying to loop this back into the first part of what we're trying to find. A bigger wing who's versatile, who can do a lot and kind of play make, can shoot, stuff like that. So, he's not like, I'm going to size you up and take you off the dribble. And go get a bucket. He's more so like, I'm really smart with the ball. He kind of is similar to Bain. Just can't shoot as well. His three-point percentage, he shot 40% from three this past year at Duke, which is pretty impressive. But he wasn't just like a flamethrower like Bain was. How tall is he? 6'5". But his wingspan is like 
very long. I want to say it's close to like 6'9", six, 6'10". Six, it's definitely a plus wingspan. Um, good shooter, good defender, not like crazy athletic. Um, Josh Hart is who he was compared to for the ringer stuff, which, again, th- that'd be awesome. Like, if we could get Josh Hart on this team, that would be that'd be really fun. Craft, you got something on him? No, I was just saying, yeah, Josh Hart. I mean, I think that's the comps, you know, or what make – because I think that's the, these 6'5 to 6'8 type guys, versatile – all things we were talking say, about. Yeah, did. so the difference to me from what I've like read on him and watched stuff on him is he handles the ball a whole lot more than Josh Hart ever did. Um, like he again, Wendell Moore was essentially their point guard. Like he brought the ball up the floor. He had the ball in like pivotal moments, which I think is important. Um, so the next guy, I'm gonna try to start going a little quicker. Max Christie, uh, Michigan State. Clearly, we like Michigan State guys. He's a six six swing, also nineteen. To me, he. So, again, the box in one, Adam Spinella had us picking him at 29, something to throw out there. He just looks like your typical, like, 3 and D of the future. Um, he's really skinny. He looks like Zaire, just a little bit shorter, but just, like, literally no muscle. Just He's just like a pole. Um, he kind of reminds me of Mikel Bridges. I feel like if he would have stayed in college, because Mikel came out after, I believe he was a junior. Um, he was kind of a later pick, and I think Chrissy's just a freshman 19-year-old I could definitely see him turning into that type player. He's not going to do a ton like self-curation. His shot is like as pure as poo. It looks beautiful. Um, Really good at shooting too. Um, So that's him. Again, if you get the gist, bigger wings who can handle the ball and shoot and are versatile defenders, I feel like that's what we're looking for in this draft. So the other big guy who I like really, really, really hope we get is a guy named Jalen Williams from Santa Clara. Um, he's six six with a seven two wingspan. Like this guy is long. Looks very much like Moses Moody. If y'all just think of that body, um, just like super super long. So this guy basically did everything for Santa Clara. Basically, point guard shot forty percent from three. Extremely high IQ. Um, plays really hard. Really really smart. I listened to the guy. What's his name? Uh, Smith. Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt, who's now the Portland GM. Yeah, Portland, which is works wild. Not GM, but assistant. 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 So he does these, no. like, video things of, like, with players and, like, watches back tape with the player. He did one on Bain earlier this year, and it was – Bain, like, seemed like a basketball savant after listening to that conversation. Like, the terminology he was using, the way he reads plays, it was just, like, really impressive. Jalen Williams did one with Mike Smith, and it was also crazy impressive. Like, this guy was, like, calling out coverages. He was like, if I had this play again, I would do this, look for this guy in the short corner, like, all this kind of stuff. Really, really smart. Really fun thing. The ringer compared him to OG Ananobi, who we've talked a lot about, and TJ Warren, who a lot of people think we're going to go after him this offseason. Really kind of interesting. Those two guys might be talked about. Yes, (laughs) exactly. So if we could get that on a cost-controlled first-round pick for four years as a 21-year-old, why not sign up to do it? I will say a lot of people, he's starting to creep up into, like, the teens um, so I don't know if he'd be there at 22, um, but he's a definitely a name to think about. So I'm going to preface the last guy. I'm going to talk about him for a little bit, but also just bring about some holistic things that I want y'all to kind of just think through and answer for me. So the last guy I have on the board is Andrew Nimhard. Um, Will, you mentioned My him earlier. Guy. So played for Gonzaga. He was a four-year player. He's 22 years old. His draft age is 22, a little bit older. That clearly hasn't scared us before um, like it has other teams. Um, not a lot of mocks have him in the first round at all, 
but apparently his combine, he was the most impressive player at the combine. And if you watch his little interviews after the fact, he was like, yeah, I'm better than everyone else here, which I thought was awesome. And he compared himself to wanting to be like Tyus Jones. Yes. And speaking of less loving Michigan State guys, we love ourselves some Gonzaga guys. We do love the Zags. So, again, think of the Tyus. That's a great point. But also in a 6'5 body. I know. Nimhard is a lot bigger than you think he is, um, which is awesome. Plays at his own pace. Not a crazy athlete. Pretty good shooter. Just does everything, like, well. Um, He's not going to, like, wow you in anything. He's just, like, a solid player. So, you're kind of thinking, like, hey, could he handle your backup point guard role? Could he also play with Jaws, like spot-up shooter, a little creation on the side, little stuff like that? To me, he is literally Malcolm Brogdon 2.0. Like, I can't see him without thinking of Brogdon. Brogdon played four years at Virginia, was a very established player by the time he's like a junior and senior. Brogdon was also 24 coming into the draft. So, so Nimhart is still two years younger than that. But to me, they are literally identical players. To me, if you draft Nimhard, you're essentially drafting Brogdon. And a lot of Grizz fans would say, sign me up for that in a heartbeat. Go ahead, Kraft. Yeah, I had I had one other guy um, because um, I got inspired by Ty's list. but And I was looking, I think you actually you might have mentioned him on something we talked about earlier. But one guy that I've seen mentioned from kind of uh, like Dean on draft, some, other, some, some guys that are like very analytics- People and they went out of their way to say that uh, Jake. I'm going to totally probably not pronounce his name name right, but Jake Laravia from Wake Forest, Laravia. That he was someone that everybody basically was like, "That is a Grizzlies player," which is actually funny that we have that now. But we have a type, and uh, we have a type. And he, looking at him, he kind of reminds me of kind of a giddy type player. He's a you know basically not athletic, but six seven guy with a feel for the game and a playmaker in a big body and his comp for the ringer has his comp as Kyle Anderson. Hmm. Um, disagree hard. Yeah. That, and that's, that's fine with the disagree of the comp or the disagree with the comp because yeah. he, this guy's a lights out shooter shooter. Okay. He well, can like we make it rain. So to me, he is literally yeah. Bogdanovich from Atlanta. Okay. Just younger, just younger. Okay. Not crazy athlete, but long, like you said, six, seven kind of can handle the ball a little bit, but just like can shoot the poo out of it. Okay. Kyle Anderson, well, like the fact that the ringer had, yeah, because he's 39. Yeah. He's a 39% three point shooter. What are they doing? So <laughs> anyway, all that said is maybe that's their way of saying that they think, you know, because the two or three other sides I looked at, they were like, this is a Grizzlies player. They actually, most of the people were saying second round, which they have him 31 in the ringer. Um, but second round pick, but he is somebody who I think at 29, if we miss out on some other guys, that seems to be, he just was like the, I was, I was like looking at who are, who do people say are the grizzly types? Right. And they say he's a grizzly type guy who people don't look at and are majorly impressed, but like fills up the box score. Yeah, no, I I saw him too. Um, a lot of people really like him. He's, he reminds, he's kind of like Nimhard in the fact that like everyone's impressed with him, but they're kind of like, I don't know who really is going to pick him kind of thing, which screams grizz. Um, So back to the Nimhart thing. So I know we've talked about this a lot with, hey, Tyus is probably leaving. Where can we find that value? Where can we do, you know, that, like, can we just draft a backup point guard at 29 and, like, roll with that kind of thing? Um, There's been some mocks out there that, like, again, the ringer had us taking um, Kessler from Auburn, this, like, seven-footer who, like, can't move. I just don't really see that happening very much. So I kind of wanted to throw out to y'all, like, what are y'all looking for? Brantley, I'm going to start with you. What are you looking for in just, like, 
who do you want to draft? Like, not specifically, like, I want to draft that guy. Like, what prototype, what are you looking for? What are you not looking for in a draft pick? I just, I, I want to prioritize playmaking in this draft. I, I sort of think, what, based on whatever happens, who our tiers are, and whether we move up a couple slots or stay exactly where we're at, I expect us to take, if we keep two, to take two playmakers at best position available. I think it be, could be point guard. You know, it could be wing. I sort of think that I, I just, unless if we just know we're going to get off of BC or Tillman or Adams, like two of those three, I, I just don't see us drafting a, a center type. That just is too many. If you look at our roster construction currently, it just feels like that's that's kind of getting back to the Chris Wallace days of like let's just get seven centers and figure it out, you know. Um, I, I so I expect us to go playmaking, and that's what I want. I want more opportunities at playmakers with height. Yeah, and I agree because the main thing that I always went back to is you have this great starting unit who plays so well together. And then when you get down to your, you know, six through nine or 10, you just don't have a guy who's obviously out there. Just your go-to option on offense. And even I would love some defensive versatility too. Like we need more defense, but I think you're more likely to find that maybe in free agency trades. Um, because I think that you need to prioritize that more than putting it on a rookie to like anchor a lot of your defense. But if you could get a guy that could just come off the bench and get buckets, who's tall enough to potentially hang, then that's what we need. We need a guy and Melton is like sort of the guy who they've tried to morph into, uh, you know, more of a volume shooter, but obviously he doesn't get the minutes. Um, and he's also not the size that you need. So I think, yeah, the playmaking and then just a bucket getter is, is what I'm looking for. In addition to backup point guard, of course. Sure. So that's, man, you couldn't have answered any better. Thank you. So the reason I honestly brought this up is there's a few guys that have kind of been like mocked to us and even like some other Grizzlies, like adjacent media, fake media people have kind of mentioned these guys. So a guy like Jaden Hardy, has been brought up a handful of times. Um, he went to the G League. He was a very, very highly touted prospect, like top five in his draft class. The guy is basically like Jordan Clarkson 2.0. Doesn't defend, doesn't pass, just goes and scores. So, Will, from your – like, y'all can answer this mm. too. That profile of a player, is that something y'all would, like, want to go after? Well, it depends if he fits into kind of the Grizz uh, intangible – mindset of just like are you going to be a team player are you going to be a stat chaser I want a guy who's like comfortable in the system of Grizz and is going to collaborate on defense he doesn't have to be built as the best defender but he has to at least show the effort sure if those boxes are checked give me the bucket getter sure I mean I just yeah I I'm uh I mean I don't think it matters I just don't think Grizz is going to draft somebody like him like I, I think they, they, they're not. We our star player, uh, if we're going to win a title, our star player who's amazing and Jaw can be the only person on our team that is a minus defender. And I just don't think we're going to draft people who can't defend. Like yeah. I just don't, that, and just I just think that that is the Grizz. 
like the Grizz type, which you were saying. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the Grizz, the Grizz type. Which so I think that's hard, a bucket getter. Yeah. Like, I just think, like, Jordan Clarkson, the Grizzlies would not want him, you know? Exactly. But it also depends on, I think, if it's a rookie who doesn't have the expectation, doesn't have the pedigree, if you will, and doesn't have the just the minutes required with the contract like a Clarkson would. If you can maybe find the guy who would fit perfectly in that window of, you know, maybe we'll get 10 to 15 a game. And when he's in there, he's he has the ability to go off, but you're not relying on him. But I 100% agree for anybody that we're going to invest in significantly. Yeah. They have to be able to defend with Jaw. Yeah, and I, and I think the other – I mean, him being 6'4", um, like just that the size too. I just think that those are the two to me, like height and pl- be able to play defense are just uh, that we have to kind of draft around our star players' weaknesses. Um you know, but again, all that said is, you know, he could, I mean, Jane, I, I like Jane Hardy. I just don't think he's, I just don't know if he's a Grizzly, but I mean, sure. if he drops to like 29, we can go to 29. Sure. I mean, yes, but I don't know. I don't know if we'll be there at 22 anyway, but yeah. So that kind of leads into another question I have just like kind of a, a far out Grizz draft approach. So two years ago, it seems like we went for kind of sure things, right? We drafted Bain and Tillman. Um, last year, we did the exact opposite. We traded up for Zaire, who everyone was like, what are they doing? Turns out, like, he's a pretty good player, right? Got a lot of promise, showed a lot. We clearly saw something in him. We drafted Santi Aldama, who everyone was like, yeah, they could have got him at, like, 40 if they wanted to. Um, again, a project-type player. After looking through some of the mocks, you see a lot of a lot of mock kind of mocky people out there saying like the Grizzlies have such a strong franchise, they have such a firm base, like they can just draft a project and just kind of see if it works out. Where are y'all on that mindset? As in just drafting a guy who maybe just shows like a few flashes, um, and just kind of being like, let's just see if this sticks. Like Pokacheski for like the Thunder. Like, they draft him because they were like, if it works out, he could be, like, really fun. But, like, there's, like, a 10% chance he works out. Um, a few other guys that have kind of been mentioned to the Grizz is this guy named Patrick Baldwin, who I don't really know much about him. He was a very, very, very highly touted prospect, but went to a college, um, a pretty obscure college, Milwaukee, I believe, where his dad was the coach. So he didn't go to, like, a big-time school. And he was hurt a lot as a freshman, didn't really play well. But he has the pedigree. But he hadn't really shown much. Another guy named Bry- Bryce He's, he's comped to, comp with Kevin Knox for Brantley. There you go. That's <laughs> Jr. Um, another guy, Bryce McGowan. So the athletic has us getting him at 22 from Nebraska. 6'7 wing, 19 years old, right? But literally, one of the sentences, it might take some time for him early in his career. But if he works out, he could, he could essentially be pretty good. So, like, where are y'all on that aspect? Because a lot of people have put, him, put us in this win now mode. Right, like a lot of people are like, no, we're only making moves to like win now. Like if we're making a move, it's to get us better right now. But then you have a lot of mock people that are kind of like, well, I mean, the project. Let's draft a guy and see what happens. So, where are y'all's thoughts on that? I mean, I can go real quick. I can just say that one thing is, I think you know, over and over again, I think Drew Hill always says this over and over again was that the Grizzlies really drafted Zaire in high school, and so they actually, I think, saw value in. Like, I think they were sort of. Like I think other guys like Gideon and Wagner and some other people were interested to the in, in they were interested in, but I think 
they were probably secretly happy that Zaire didn't have that great year at Stanford because I think they were extremely high on him in high school. And so I think there was a little bit of like they did rule, you know, and they obviously believed in him as soon as the, the season started. I do think this year, I mean, we either, if, if the guys we draft in this draft play a lot of minutes next year, either we pulled a Bane again or some, or horrible things have happened. You know, I mean, and so that's what's interesting. And so that makes me feel like we can do, we can maybe get some projects, but I also feel like I, I'm, I'm, I'm the, the keeper of the culture. And so to me, it does, they do have to fit a certain mold and be like a, Hey, in two years, can this guy be better than Dylan um, type feel or, and can, do they fit our culture? But I think we, we don't have to feel like we need to draft somebody who helps next year which is a freedom we have not had before. Great point. And also, I just want to mention, I feel like a lot of people are saying that about Z, and he literally started like 40 games this year, which is a very interesting thought. Z's the man. I do think we are hopefully moving into a different NBA season next year. Uh, you know, knock on wood, you know, this was still a COVID season ish, right? We were still impacted by health and safety protocols significantly. I would expect that based on the current trend for that to be less impactful next year. And so we're in a little bit more of a regular schedule. So that's another kind of, you know, coin in the bucket to craft's point on it. It's a different, we're probably gonna have a different strategy going in just to sort of see how things fall which is why I sort of feel like we have a couple – we may have more options available to us even in the past. We we could just completely get out of the draft um, and punt and use, you know, some of that budget um, to help us add a couple more chips to make it to the Western Conference Finals next year. You know, th- that's the kind of mindset that I think Kleinman showed at exit interviews that he's in. It's not about sort of this growth mindset. We talked about it last pod. It's in a what do we do to, to, to make our team better? And I think that they have a couple – I would imagine that they have a couple different plans for how they're going to accomplish that. And I don't think that you do that with picks 22 and 29. Unless, I mean, if they have a guy and, he, and it's Bain and he falls to 22, which maybe they do. They climbing has shown the ability to do that, but how many, I mean, I'm just kind of like, how many times can he do it? Like, I know. I mean, it's, it's, it seems pick, pick improbable. The second, pick like the third best guy in the draft. At yeah. 29. I mean, I like, maybe it's <laughs> possible. Maybe like, well, you guys are all really dumb again. Unless Great. it's, we'll unless, take this, yeah. we'll take Bane 3.0. Unless it's literally like, you're going to move 22 and 29 for number 19. And then you're going to take 19 and you're going to move that in like a, you know, I don't know, Conchar for like, you know, a next year's first, you know, something crazy like that where maybe he punts, but we don't end up, it'd be funny if we never, if we don't take anyone. Um, but I think it's, it's going to be super interesting. And that's a real, I really do think that's a real option. I think it's a possibility. I think that, you know, we're getting, we, in the, this, we've had the past three years, we've been really excited, excited draft night. Cause we're like thinking, who do we act to add to this young core? And I think one of, our jobs here as keeper of the fan for the Grizzlies is to say, guys, change your mindset. 
fan. Mm-hmm. Next year, our goal is to make it to the Western Conference Finals. So everything in the offseason is about that. But you know, but it also could be getting somebody like Nimhard, who we feel like, uh, if Jaw gets injured, we could play him some heavy point guard minutes and not, you know, not be too bad. But also thinking, hey, we're going to try to do the combo thing, or we're going to try to do something else um, for backup point guard. But having somebody like him that we don't expect to play, but might have to, you know, we can also go that route too of getting some older players in that yeah. way. So last know. last thing for part one. Quick vote. If you were the commissioner of the NBA, would you would you switch the way that free agency and the draft are, fall in the calendar? Would you rather have free agency before the draft or the draft as it currently is before free agency? I think it's a more dramatic schedule, so I would keep it the way that it is. I would also make sure that um, if a team trades for a player – we can get over that stupid role and they can wear the appropriate flat bill baseball cap on draft night. We have a smart front office now, so I don't want to change it, but I might've wanted to change it in the past. Yeah. I, I, I like the way it is. What about you? Will? I kind of wish it would switch a little bit. Uh, I think it'd be just a little like if it was just cl- same, but closer together. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I have a small, like, it's like 52% of me wants it to change, basically. Um, because I think it would set up um, teams a little bit better and make your like the, the draft pick trading. There would be so much more trading if free agency was before. But anyway. All right. Well, that was part one. We're going to get into some fun free agency and trade stuff in part two. So tune in.